This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller, CEO of Empire State Properties and host of the Miller Report. Today we have with us an amazing guest. He grew up in New York. He's a native New Yorker like I am. He grew up in Port Washington. He studied at Tufts University and then went on to Harvard, where he got his law degree. Can you believe he left the Knicks for the Celtics? Welcome, Anthony Scaramucci, to the Miller Report. It's five decades of pain for me. I've, I've been in a house of pain with the Knicks for five decades. I, Even though I lived in Boston, of course, I stayed loyal to uh, my teams, right? I, I Just to let you know how much pain I'm in, I'm a Nick. <laughs> and Mets. Mets. Jet and Ranger fan, the best, the, the best teams uh, and the best logos, but unfortunately no winning yet. But I've got a lot of confidence in these guys, especially my friend Steve Cohen. I mean, I think they're going to – I do believe we get a, a championship inside the next decade, but let's see. So, Anthony, you're the perfect person to ask this to. So there's, what's, what's, you went to Harvard. What is going on on the college campuses? Well, first of all, to – fire somebody at that level, okay, that's one thing you can do that, but this is a systemic problem, Suzanne. And so this started in the uh, the woke movement and the woke culture. Uh, the doctrine of good intentions is that we're going to right every wrong from our past. And so if there was a slaveholder in our past, let's take down the statue. If we no longer like Christopher Columbus, and I'm an Italian-American, so I do like Christopher Columbus, we'll take down a statue. And we think that this is going to help us somehow in our current society. And so it's a false promise because uh, there have been slave holders for, as you know, 5,000 years of civilization, and we can't right every wrong from our society's past. And so they pulled this into the future, and now this has caused tremendous cultural and moral relativism as we're trying to allow for space for people to express their opinions. But there is a right or wrong, and there is a moral compass in a society. So when someone is asked if you are okay with them chanting mass genocide, it's okay to kill the Jews and mass genocide, and they say, well, it's about context, they have missed the plot, but this has bubbled up for three or four decades to where we are now. And so obviously that was uh, disgusting. Uh, all three of them should be fired. Uh, looks like Harvard is taking a stand against some of their donors and th- doesn't want to fire uh, the university president there. She was recently installed, and I get I get all of that. But but you have a systemic problem. Do you think that this who's funding it? Where's the, I'm reading it's coming yeah. from Qatar. Where is the money yeah. coming from yeah. so for I, these institutions? What's your gut? I, oh, well, I see what you're saying, mean, meaning they're getting international donations yes. from different institutions, and that's the reason why they're having this reflexivity and this moral relativism. Well, you know, I find it disgusting. You know, I, I'm not close enough to these schools. Uh, I am a donor to Harvard. I once was a donor to Tufts. You know, I, I was asked, I was on the uh, various boards at Tufts. I had a 36-year relationship with Tufts uh, because I supported Donald Trump. Um, and I, I was on the board of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. There were 26 kids that said that I needed to leave, and they signed a petition. And so the university didn't support me. When I called the university president, I said, "Are you? You know, I've been with you guys. I'm a fairly decent-sized donor. I'm on the board of this, uh, you know, diplomacy school. Are you supporting me or not?" He said, "No. We we would like you to leave." 
no problem. I resigned from the board. Uh, I haven't been back. I'm, I'm like Yogi Berra. I won't return to the, the Tufts campus ever again. I understand. Uh, and, but I am a donor to, to Harvard. Harvard shaped my career, gave me a start. But it was a different institution. It had different standards then. So whether they believe it or they don't believe it, they're hurting themselves. If they're taking money into the system and the system is changing them, mm-hmm. well, then they got a big problem. You know, when How John, do we uncover it? I don't, I don't know the answer because these are private institutions and these are private donations that are mm-hmm. going on. And, and they don't really, I don't really think they have to disclose. It's not a public institution or a publicly traded company where they'd have to disclose things like that. But, but listen, you know, this is a, it's a disgrace. I mean, let's it's just put it this way. It's, it's weakening when, our democracy. It, well, there's a lot of things that weaken our democracy. This is one of them. I'll just point back to Ronald Reagan. Uh, uh, his uh, campaign staff came running into the room in 1980 and said, oh, my God, you've got this one, got this endorsement of the John Birch Society. We're trying to put you in the middle, make you a little bit less right so we can get you elected. What do we do? And Reagan said, hey, hey, they're endorsing me. I'm not endorsing them. Okay, and I'm going to leave it alone. Okay, at the end of the day, here are my principles. This is what I stand for. If you like what I stand for, you're going to vote for me. If you don't like what I stand for, I've had a great life. I'm going to go back up to my ranch and cut brush. And that's the point. You know, we have to get back to a centered moral identity for ourselves. And we have to be able to tell people what is right and what is wrong. If you can't say before the Congress, after you're asked 17 times by Representative Stefanik uh, about genocide, of a race of religious people or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's absolutely disgusting. Okay, and imagine if it were African-Americans. Oh, look, look, we want to kill imagine if it was Italians. Well, they do it to the Italians. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, they do. They do. They, they, they're allowed to. There's still space to pick on the Italians. I'm cool with it because I'm a big believer in the First Amendment. I was to po- Tony Soprano on the Potomac. That was in the FT. I was uh, Jim Tan in Laundry. I was a Jersey Shore cast member when I worked for Donald Trump. They took every racial and stereotypical trope, and they threw it at me either from a comedy perspective or from an invective in an editorial or from some cable news punditry. I don't care. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Uh, but the point being, why be so hypocritical? You can attack certain sects like Jews or Italians, but other people are sacrosanct. I find it, I find it very hypocritical, and I think, we, I think we have to call it out. And I appreciate you uh, for being that person. You know, this is a destination. These two microphones are a destination for truth and objective 100%. clarity. And I admire you for that. Thank you. We're not going to stop. Let's, while we're on that subject, what about yeah. Israel? Do you think we should have a ceasefire? What's your gut on that? Well, you can't have a ceasefire. Uh, I, I do think that Israel's up against it. Um, I'm not going to parse this. You have to go. Here's the way I look at it. Does Israel have the right to exist? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. I believe Israel has a right to exist. Moreover, don't go by me. Go by Harry Truman. 1947, the United States made a decision alongside of the UN that Israel had the right to exist. Okay, so 80 plus years later, 75 plus years later, they exist. Therefore, if they exist and they're a sovereign nation, they have the right to defend themselves. If you're crossing the border into Israel on a Sunday morning and you're murdering 1,300 people, you're raping and pillaging innocent people, you're bringing 10-month-olds and 80-plus-year-olds into your community and holding them as hostages, well, guess what? The Israelis have the right 
to defend their country and they have the right to destroy Hamas. And so, unfortunately, the way a society works, when you have people that are calling for from sea to sea or whatever the chant is to wipe you out, you have to think like Franklin Roosevelt thought or like Winston Churchill thought. There's a unconditional surrender. Do you think we could have called a ceasefire with the Nazis? Okay, you can't exactly. do that, okay? This is it's just terrible. Now, what's different about today is we can see the physical destruction uh, instantaneously, and we see the civilian deaths. My heart is in pain for that. I know that I don't like when people say, well, there are no innocent Palestinians and there are no innocent people that live in Gaza. I think that that's wrong. I think we have to have grace and we have to be human beings towards each other. And I think we have to not dehumanize each other. Of course, there are people that are living there that don't want this type of activity. Um, But you have to root out and destroy Hamas. And any leader uh, that would suggest otherwise really doesn't understand history. And, uh, you know, the Biden administration, I get the point. Uh, They've got pressure on them. The atrocities are terrible. I mean, you can see it on on X or you can see it on Instagram, wherever you want to see it. I'm I'm not suggesting that it's not a terrible situation, but war is terrible. Uh, and you go into the country, you invade and massacre innocent people, there is going to be a resolve for that country to protect itself and to definitely make sure that that never happens again. I appreciate you know, that. But let me Come. say this to you. We went from 1945, liberating concentration camps, mm-hmm. to 2023, where we have some of the elite institutions, the elite academic institutions in our society saying, you know, you can call for the genocide of Jews. It just depends on the context. How did this country go from liberating concentration camps to there? That's the big dilemma. I gave a speech on that last week in Naples, Florida, and I explained what we've done to ourselves. And I'm also suggesting we've got a lot to do to correct ourselves. We've got to get back to a moral and principled standard where we actually do know what's right and wrong. I think that that's fantastic. And I think it's always follow the money which is why my first question was, who's yeah. funding this? So I think it's that's a really good question. I'm not close fun. enough to it, right. but if you're making the suggestion as being funded by people that, yes. that want to create space for this type of activity. Bring down and democracy. And, they're, and, they're, and therefore they brought this, okay? It's wrong. They should, be, they should be like Ronald Reagan. They should say, hey, you know what? We got an amazing institution here. You want to send us some money? That's great, but you're supporting our institution. We're not going to convert ourselves to support you. Now, that's the issue with Harvard. See, Harvard is saying to guys like my friends like Bill Ackman, hey, we're not going to convert ourselves to you. This is Harvard. Okay, and that's why they kept that, uh, I don't even remember her name, like Gay, I guess, uh, President Gay on, mm-hmm. on, on staff. But she should have been fired. And she should have been fired. And they should have said, we're going to restate our principles. We're going to go back to what is morally core what a good moral compass should be for not just Harvard, but for all of academia. And, they, and they're not willing to do that because they have to admit, see, the pride is involved. When you put your pride and your ego into your decision-making, you, know, you make even worse decisions. Let's move on to, I've, I've done a lot of research about you. I know about that after you graduated Harvard, you then opened up Skybridge Capital. Well, you yep. worked at Goldman, and then yep. you went to Skybridge Capital, and then you tried to sell it to a Chinese company, and yep. you took it back. Mm-hmm. So tell us, what was it like to do business in China versus the United States? Okay, yeah, so th- I want to p- apply some uh, more information. I think it'll help people. So I, 
I was going to work for the government. I was told by the ethics lawyers that uh, I had hired, uh, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm ethically pure to work inside the administration? Mm -hmm. They said, well, you need to sell your company because you can no longer have a control of the company. And you need to cede certain stocks and bonds and things like that. So when you're in the government, you can make decisions that are not fettered by economic decisions that benefit you. So I put the company up for sale. At that time, we had a positive or more positive relationship with China than we do now. Uh, Steve Schwartzman had just sold, uh, I guess, his stake in Hilton uh, to the group called HNA. He made an introduction to me. Uh, to those people. They were very uh, well, good good people. I mean, some of them, frankly, they were American citizens. The one gentleman I'm still very close to, we negotiated a deal for them to buy my company, at which point I was going to be completely out of that company. No decision-making, no nothing. Uh, there's a, a, a thing called CFIUS in the United States. It's a branch of the U.S. Treasury that blocked the deal. They said that uh, they didn't want a foreign enterprise to control that company. Uh, and CFIUS at that time had gotten wind that a lot of these Chinese companies were frankly fronts for the Chinese Communist Party or the People's Republic Army. And so they didn't want American companies to be owned or controlled by the Chinese. Um, and so that was explained to me. I said, no problem. I took the company back. Mm -hmm. uh, I did get fired after 11 days. And so some things happened for a good reason. And, you know, I, uh, I'm very happy that I got the company back because uh, it's just my life's blood. And I built the company uh, alongside of my partners. Uh, and so we went forward. But what happened over the last 10 years is that our relationship with China has soured. And some of it is related to trade. Some of it is related to the flex that China is flexing in the South China Sea. Uh, and some of it is related to the technological development of artificial intelligence. And so um, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a one world, but we do have a two-party system. Whether we like it or not, the two largest economies in the world have different systems. We live in a Republican-based somewhat representative democracy, but not fully representative. And they live obviously in a one party system, which is an autocracy or to quote President Biden, they live under the auspices of levels of dictatorship. Now, um, I've worked in China. I like the Chinese culture. I like the Chinese business people. Uh, and I believe that we have to figure out a way to cohabitate on planet Earth uh, with the Chinese. You have to ask yourself, the way I just said, does Israel have a right to exist? My answer is yes. Is the Chinese Communist Party going to be in power over the next 50 years? None of us know the answer to that, but I believe it will be. It's very, very different from the Soviet Union. You believe it will be. Is everybody listening to that? You I think do. that the currency is going to change? Uh, the Chinese currency? Yes. Uh, no, I think it will be, I think they will be in power in that country uh, because, it, you know, most one-party systems have a 70-year lifespan, if you study it, okay? The Soviet system, 70-year lifespan, and then it died, died in 1989 or 1991, however you want to measure it. I say the Berlin Wall, other people say when the flag came down. The Mexicans, they had a, the Mexican government, 70-year reign, one-party system. It died. The Malaysians uh, uh, had a 70-year reign up until 2018. Uh, it flipped over. Same thing with Japan. So most one-party systems have a 70-year life expectancy. By the way, most republics have a 200-year life expectancy, and we're heading for 250. So we're also in life extension. Okay, but I think the Chinese government 
is different. They're welded into the system. There's 95 or so million people in the Chinese Communist Party, maybe there's more than that now, that have tightened the screws of control in China. And whether we like it or not, the Chinese people have accepted that form of government. And so then we have to say to ourselves, are we going to cohabitate on planet Earth, whether we like it or not? We breathe the same air, we drink the same water, are we going to cohabitate with them or not? And a real politician, somebody with great common sense and wisdom, understands that we have to do that. Franklin Roosevelt, he cut a deal with Joseph Stalin, who was arguably more of a mass murderer than Adolf Hitler. But we cut that deal because we knew the threat to Western Europe was from Nazi Germany more than it was from Joe Stalin. We have to figure out a way cohabitate on planet Earth with the Chinese. Whether you like it or not, we do not want to be at war with them. I want to move on to something that you also mm-hmm. are very familiar with. Tell, the whole world understands, they hear the word crypto. They know the word crypto, cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. But unlike real estate where you could touch and feel and really understand, I think 99% of us don't right. really understand what crypto is. Right. And what is your relationship with Sam Bankman-Fried? I'm happy to and, talk about and it. And I want to know, is there a future in crypto and... Just spend a minute and tell us a little bit about crypto. So the bad news, if you were born in the 1970s or prior, you probably don't like crypto, don't know about crypto, and you're probably not willing to learn about it. Uh, Me, I was born in 1964. I'm turning 60 next year. uh, And I spent the time to learn about the blockchain and and cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And so if we were in the elevator together and I had only three minutes, here's the pitch. Go. We have always used a third party. We don't like or trust each other as human beings. We gotta be honest with each other. You like and trust a small group of people. Everyone else we dislike and distrust. So we always use a third party for our transactions. You're in the real estate business. If I'm buying your home, you're gonna send me your corresponding bank's wire instructions. I'm gonna wire to that bank. When you get the clearance that your bank has my money, you're gonna hand me the deed. You're not just gonna hand me the deed. Okay, we always use a third party for verification. The blockchain is this wonderful verification device. It's this wonderful technology where we can verify through the web, through the, 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 the spreadsheet, this basically dis- fully distribu- distributed, fully transparent spreadsheet that my money went into your account. And so we can avoid the third party. This is a permissionless transfer. If you are a libertarian or somebody that br- believes in freedom, you have to love this because you're taking third parties out of decisions. You're, you don't have to rely on the bank to give up the money. Okay, I own a restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club down the block here, 44th Street. You're coming into the restaurant. If you can play over the blockchain and avoid American Express, MasterCard, and Visa, we're going to save 3.5%. When a restaurant has a 15% margin, that's a 23, 24% improvement in its gross margins. I just want you to imagine a society where we could go peer to peer and do transactions with each other because we trust the technology associated with it. Yeah, that's a big key. You trust the technology. Yeah, okay. And so, but I can prove to you, we don't have time on the show, I can prove to you why you can trust it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had economic advisors from El Salvador. Uh, They made Bitcoin a uh, legal tender in, in the country. Uh, They came to see me. You've got uh, millions and millions of expatriates that live here in the United States. They want to give money back to mom and dad at home. Most of these people are unbanked. They can't afford the banking fees 
at these large banks. Uh, and so what do they do? They take $100 bills. They go to Western Union. They want to give $1,000 to mom. Uh, they show up with a $1,000 uh, $1, at Western Union. Well, 10% of it goes to Western Union. So $100 to Western Union, $900 to mom. Well, the guys from El Salvador came to see me and said, if we can set this up over the blockchain and have a wallet-to-wallet -wallet transfer over the blockchain, we'll save $400 million for the people of El Salvador. So, so this is a massive innovation. This is a massive opportunity for people to save money and to put that money back into their businesses or to improve the technology around their lives. And, and when you really understand it, you know it's here, whether Elizabeth Warren likes it, Jamie Dimon. I mean, he's pumping money into the blockchain. He's wow. spending tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's got research reports at J.P. Morgan praising Bitcoin. So, so to me, uh, my responsibility to my investors is to explain the future to them and give them the opportunity to invest in, in part of it. I do believe your industry will be eventually tokenized. There will be more liquidity in real estate as a result of the blockchain and the ability to tokenize these properties. And so if that happens, I think it'll generally a good thing. You know, most of our assets are not liquid. Our stocks and bonds are liquid, but very few other things are liquid. Our collectibles, artwork, real estate, not liquid. This could potentially be an opportunity to create that liquefaction. Particularly if the banks start taking mortgages in this, in crypto. Do you see that happening? Uh, not yet, but I do see a dollar. I do see a stable coin. I see a U.S. dollar denominated coin on the blockchain uh, that will eventually be, be used by us. Uh, I could envision a scenario where five years from now, we are, we are using uh, a stable coin to buy our coffee or, or, or do wow. things like that over the blockchain. That's Let me just say this to you, because we can never predict the future, but we can observe the past. If this was 1998, 25 years ago, uh, we would have a big flat screen TVs would be fat screens, right? Fat screen computers. We'd have a dial-up modem under the desk. It would be whirring and burring, and it would take 35 seconds for our AOL landing page to arrive. But imagine I came to you from the future. I said, hey, you know what? 25 years from now, uh, you're going to be doing Zoom calls like George Jetson. You're going to have trillions of dollars of transactions on the Internet. And, oh, by the way, there will be billions of people streaming 4K video around the world. And so we sometimes can't see it in the moment. None of us could have predicted that in 1998. But here we are in 2023 actually living that. And we actually have a smart computer about the size of the palm of our hand that sits in our pockets, known as the smartphone. It has more technology in that computer than we used to land those people on the moon in the 1970s. And so you have to see the future. Embrace it. You have to embrace it. You may not get it 100% right, but it's going in that direction. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's switch over to my field, which is real estate. What do you think, Anthony, is going to happen to these B and C buildings? I know the A buildings are doing well. Mm-hmm. Loans are coming due. The rates went from you know, three to eight. What's mm-hmm. com- what, what do you see is going to happen here? Well, you are the smartest people, okay? And Trump said something to me very funny years ago about the real estate people in New York. They're human Swiss army knives, okay? And what I mean by that, when the time comes to make an adaptation, uh, you make the adaptation. If you need an a incubation laboratory for internet people, you chop up the space and make it that way. People want high-end, prestigious, class A office space, you guys find a way. Uh, the B and C space will get reinvented. How it gets reinvented, I don't 100% know. But here's what I do know about this rock known as the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most attractive places in the world to live. We have the best restaurants. We have the theater. Everybody listening, we love that. We have the culture, okay? This is an emerging market, okay? Everybody wants to come here. Unfortunately, even the terrorists, okay, which is why we got to make sure we keep the city safe, okay? Because this is a symbol of hope. This is a symbol of America. This is a symbol of the world. If you look at the pie chart of demography, of New York. And so everybody wants to be here. And so when you say to me, B and C real estate, could it go into a slump temporarily? Sure. Could you be faced with a uh, supply crisis? Sure. But I saw that in 1990. We saw it again uh, after the David Askin crisis in the mid 90s. You know, the Gulf War, we had a big real estate swoon here. It ebbs and flows. But just imagine if you were like a Warren Buffett of real estate and you just bought and held these properties and you wrote out the evolution and the adaptation of these properties. And so I would never bet against the island of Manhattan. I would never bet against those, those properties. Not that they're not going to go into a slump for a period of time, but they will get reinvented. Uh, And this is music to my ear. Uh, Last week I had Douglas Durst on the Miller report and he said the same thing. Yeah. He said, never bet against New York. He's still building. It's not, it's going to be absorbed. Their family's been in real estate for over a century. I mean, what, what do you, what do you, I mean, no way. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. You're a product of this island. I'm a product of this island. I had to grow up on a different island. That would be Long Island. But I made my business here. I've been in New York running a business, running a business independently for the last 27 years. Uh, But I started my career at Goldman Sachs in 1989. It's been 35 spectacular years. And I'm a New Yorker. Okay, I am not a Floridian. I'm not a resident of anywhere. I have a home out on Long Island. I've got one in Southampton. I'm a New Yorker. Okay, I'm not going anywhere. Now, maybe it'll be you, me, Spike Lee, and Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Maybe we'll be shutting the lights off on the city. But I'm not going anywhere, okay, because I love this place. Yeah, I, ditto, and ditto, I ditto. And I don't mind paying the taxes. I'd like them to be less. I'd like them to be less waste, and I'd like there to be more fiscal accountability. Uh, but when you're in a one-party system, as you learn in China, when you're in a one-party system, you, you create space for corruption, and you create space for what happens in a monopoly. If you're in a political monopoly, they have pricing power. And when they have pricing power, they typically 
overprice and under deliver on services. And we have to, we have to correct that. And I just, it's just, if they ask the open question, are the New Yorkers ready to embrace a change like that? Uh, or did these politicians do a good enough job of making everybody cynical and indifferent to thinking that it could never change? Speaking of politicians, I know you had a cup of coffee at the Trump administration. Yeah. You were the communication director. Yeah, 11 days. Yeah. 11 days. 11 was, days. Uh, I told my therapist it was 954,000 <laughs> seconds just to, you know, made, made it sound longer. But look, uh, Trump and I were fighting, and uh, we disagreed on certain things. And I know that this uh, radio station here loves Trump, okay? I can tell you that I, you know, listen, shouldn't be the president. Okay, you can love the guy. But he should not be the president. He doesn't have the technical skills or the, the emotional balance or the executive management skills to be the president. And so uh, that's, my, that's my position You started there. this interview by saying that fear is more important and that we need to, people have to, be, have to respect us. Don't you think that he will accomplish that? I don't, actually. I think they, they, they see him overseas as a dissension creator. They see him as a wrecking ball. Uh, this is a fragile fabric, this country. Okay, This is what Lincoln called the last best hope for mankind, or what our founders called was a grand experiment. This is a uh, multiverse, this country. This is multiracial. This is most multireligious. Everybody gets an opportunity. It's relatively flat in terms of its meritocracy. People like you and I can rise from humble means. Uh, or look at somebody like John Katsimatidis, what he's done. He built a fame and fortune. The best. John's the best. I know he's the best, but just think about it. I mean, he's a dear, dear friend. When I got fired from the White House, one of the first calls into my cell phone was from John Katsimatidis. Okay, and I will... Never forget that, okay? You need a friend in a foxhole when bombs are going off. It's John Katsimatidis. But John Katsimatidis' life would have been very different in Greece. Anthony Scaramucci's life would have been very different in Italy. This place has created that space. And you need a unifier. You need somebody that can transcend politics. Remember, the office of the presidency is a job that we all vote on. Okay, it's the only job in the country that every one of us get the opportunity to vote on. Your senator, you got to be in that state. Your representative, you got to be in that district. Okay, your governor, the state. You get my point. And so that person has to be transcendent, has to think about the world and the political system differently. None of our leaders are giving us that, by the way. But I would prefer someone like a Nikki Haley or even, you know, somebody like a Chris Christie, you know, I'm, if I had ranked them, Chris Christie first, Nikki second. You know, Ron, Ron DeSantis doesn't have the riz. You know, that's a new word, right? Riz means charisma. We just put that in the Oxford like Dictionary. You, you oh, got I the don't riz. Know. I don't know, but you got the riz. That's right. You got the show. I'm just a guest on the show. But Ron doesn't have the riz. You, know, you can look at him, you know, he's no chance he could really be the president. He couldn't so what do you off. think of the, the whole Republican Party right now? What's your opinion? Disaster. Ununified. Um, uh, Trump has scared them. They're a bunch of fraidy cats. He's bullied them. And so a result of which, rather than punching them in the nose like you have to do with a good bully, uh, they're afraid of them. They're shaking their boots. So they're completely fractured. And they're losing support. The Republicans are down, down to 29% of the registrations. Democrats are at 31. The rest of the people are independents now. So the largest voting block is independents. Um, but there's an even more imp more important voting box than the independents. There's a there's a group of people in this country, 144 million of them. They vote the exact same way in every election. The most powerful voting voting block in the country. It's the non-voter. You know, this they don't show up. 
Okay, but if you just imagine if you had an entrepreneurial politician that could energize those voters and could explain to them there is a way out of this. Okay, because 75% of the people are saying we don't like the direction that the country's going in. So imagine if you had a politician that could say, okay, look, country's not going in the direction you want, but here's a way the country could go. Here's a vision for the country where we could refortify our values, we could restate our principles, we could make ourselves stronger. Remember what Reagan said, you get peace through strength. You see, you mentioned the word fear, okay, and people see that, but I'm telling you right now, I would like a politician, a president, to focus on the internal mechanisms of America, to rebuild our educational systems, the right size, to make it fairer, to rebuild our infrastructure, to fortify America, make America stronger uh, from the inside out, okay, and if we did that, uh, then we would have people fearing us, and it wouldn't be because of flexing muscles, it would just be because of the sustainability and the growth of our economy. This summer, I went to a breakfast, speaking of John Castamatidis, Yeah. and you were the guest speaker. And yes. I have been thinking about that since we met. And you said at the time, I think it was last July, you said, Joe Biden is not running. Everybody's yeah. got to get rid He's definitely not running. You I said you can't I, find yeah, his way to the I've, pool, maybe quote, I've, unquote. Maybe I've got that wrong, yeah. Okay, but you see, So what, you, what, what do you think? Is you he running choice, or is he not running? I don't know, but if you have a choice between demented and dementia, I'm going with dementia. Because demented could do way more damage than dementia. Okay, that's just my opinion. Um, this is a fight for the democracy. Okay, and I want to remind your viewers of something, okay? Donald Trump has said that he wants to be a dictator on day one. Okay, and oh, just for one day. Wink, wink. I don't like it. Okay, I don't like what happened. We want to debate it. We can debate it. I don't like what happened on January 6th, which happens to be my birthday. I don't like the bellicosity of the rhetoric that comes from Mr. Trump because I think it's very divisive. If there's a threat to the American democracy, all of us are going to be hampered by that. Your grandchildren and great-grandchildren or your future relatives and their generations will be hampered. The democracy made us free. The founders understood that to avoid tyranny, we had to create checks and balances in the system and protect ourselves from strong men or strong women leadership. Because what happens? It works for five years. Mussolini got the trains to run on time. Everybody was happy with the economy. 1933 to 1938 in Germany. Okay, they were happy. Okay, even though he acted crazy, Adolf Hitler, he got the thing going, and dictators can do that. But it always ends in massacre, and it always ends in tragedy. And if it doesn't end in massacre and tragedy, then it ends up like what you're seeing around the world, whether it's Putin or others that are in control. They take away your liberty. There's a group of cronies at the top and this oligarchic power structure that do well, and everybody else does poorly. I don't want that for the country. I'm a patriot first and a partisan second. So I may be wrong about Biden. Maybe he is running. Okay, now listen. If he's Lyndon, not running, who is Anthony? Okay, but listen, Lyndon Johnson dropped out in March of 1968. I'm going back okay. to my question. Okay. If it's so not Biden, think, who's think, it going to be? I think it's Newsom. You think it's Newsom? I do. That's what you said in the summer. I do. I think Newsom will end up taking the reins from Biden mm -hmm. somewhere in here. Uh, and there will be a flex and a fight over Kamala Harris and others. But I think if the, if the Democrats want to win, it'll be Newsom. And if the Republicans want to win, it'll be a Haley or a Christie, uh, because that would be an interesting fight. And listen, Chris Cuomo says age or stage. I'm not an ageist, but I do think these people are too old for this job. Okay, I read the presidential daily brief. It's a lot of complexity in that 
brief and it requires a lot of critical thinking and decision making and personal security to allocate and delegate to others to come up with the right decision. And I think that these people are too old. They've aged out of the job. Uh, people can be mad at me for saying that, but I'd like to see somebody younger than that, more energetic, and somebody that can inspire younger Americans to come into the political process uh, and, and be more responsible about the democracy. Let's so, move on to New so, York, you know, our, our favorite I'm city. probably going to be wrong, by the way. It'll probably be Biden and Trump. And, and Biden will beat the pants off of Trump. And your listeners on this network won't like me saying that, uh, but he will because the negatives on Trump are overwhelming. Okay, and you got Italian viewers listening. Gugutz, you know, tutte pots. The guy's nuts. It's Curtis. Curtis, guy, are you listening? Guy, is Curtis the in the house? What's Sid going to say? No, oh my God. Sid's, Sid's hung up the phone on me, the poor guy. I mean, Sid doesn't really like Trump. He just does it for ratings. I'm I poor hope guy. Sid's not listening. Okay, no, back I to hope New he York. He is listening. Back, he is, let's get him in here. Let's yeah. get Sid in here. Poor guy. Let, let's go back to New York. Yeah. So, what's going to happen with Adams? You think he's going to resign? What, what, what's going to happen here? I don't know. I like Eric. I've been a supporter of his. I've been involved with fundraising for him. Um, I think he's done taking some steps to improve the city. I think the uh, the governor uh, has not done a great job. If I'm just being brutally honest, she she's held him back. She's got this woke thing going on that she's anchored to this ultra left that she caters to. Uh, people want a higher quality of life. Great executive political leadership, uh, uh, and then we're talking about. Rudy Giuliani in the 90s or Mayor Bloomberg in 2000s to 2013. Uh, these people understand that quality of life means f freedom from fear. Okay, yes, the crime rates may be down and the murder rates may be down, but people are fearful. Okay, when we were in this city for 20 years, you could ride the subways without fear. You could walk the city, walk Times Square without fear. You weren't stepping over the homeless. You weren't watching people steal from the drugstores and then get out on bail two minutes later to go back in an organized uh, burglar ring to steal more from the drugstores. I mean, this is nonsensical. It hurts the quality of life in the city. It hurts the state. It stops people from moving here, and it encourages people to move out of here. Okay, and the governor should be more responsible about that. And she's not, and she won't take any responsibility for it. And she'll, she'll read you these statistics, but this is a feeling. Remember, it's not how, it's not what people say. It's how they make you feel. Okay, and we don't feel safe, and we're living in fear in the city. And I wouldn't let my 24-year-old uh, son or my 28-year-old daughter uh, go into certain areas of the city anymore uh, where they could 20 years ago. Do you think the FBI investigation uh, regarding Adams was because he spoke up about the border? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a good question because a lot of this stuff feels arbitrary and capricious. It used to be straight up, but it feels arbitrary and, and capricious. I'm not, I'm not close enough to it, but I think here's what happens. You know, we, we, uh, we speak campaign rhetoric, and then we're hit with the reality of the situation, and then we change our tune. Jack Kennedy... Uh, he talked about a missile gap in 1960. He said, I'm going to close the missile gap between us and the Russians. And when he got into office, we were six to one on them on missiles. Okay, and he, and he 
became a harder cold warrior as a result of his interaction with Nikita Khrushchev. And so I applaud Mayor Adams for recognizing that we have a problem at the border. Uh, we have to figure out a, a situation with the migrants. But as I said, on this network, on this, on this air, uh, we've got 100,000 migrants that have entered New York City. 140,000. 140,000 now. It was 100 at the time that I said it. 140 now. There's 12,500 a day crossing into those towns, 12,500 crossing a day into those towns in Texas along the border. And so I just want you to think of the magnitude of the problem. Uh, and listen, the fact that they're not addressing the problem is going to be a big election year issue for the Democrats. And so uh, Eric Adams is right to speak out about it. Uh, if they're persecuting him for it, I think it's disgusting. Uh, but you know, and I know we're old enough to now to know that anything's possible now. Anything's possible. So if he doesn't get reelected or if he resigns, because it's going to cost a lot of money to defend himself legally, I, I understand mm -hmm. all that. Who do you think is going to step in? Well, there's speculation about Andrew Cuomo thinking about it. Um, um, I, I, I guess there's uh, people in the city council that would probably have an interest. You know, there's that proverbial expression, every dog catcher that's been elected thinks they should be president. I'm sure there's a ton of uh, public servants in this city that believe that they should be mayor. Uh, who would do a good job? I think Andrew would do a good job if he so, had that post. So you would I think support, Andrew's matured as you, a candidate. You're going to support Andrew Cuomo? Um, well, I'm a supporter of Eric Adams, and so I would like to see Eric uh, uh, figure a way through this maze that they put him through, uh, and I would like to see him get more help from the governor. If you read the state constitution, you know that the governor has a lot of sway in the city in terms of the way the budget is appropriated and so forth. And one of the real reasons why the city did so well is that you had reasonable governors. Okay, uh, Andrew's father, Mario, and then when George Pataki took over, if you ask uh, Rudy Giuliani or Mike Bloomberg, they had a good relationship with George Pataki. He was trying to help improve the quality of life in the city. I think, I think Governor Hochul uh, has not done that. And so I would like Eric to stay. Um, but if he doesn't, and Andrew wants to do it, I'd be more than happy to help him. Funny, uh, George Pataki was on the Miller Report a few weeks ago. It was a fantastic <clears throat> interview, and he did talk about the border. And he said that we, just like you're saying, that we're not that we need to be stronger. We need to be more, you know, fearful of what we're doing to protect our citizens. Mm -hmm. And um, okay, let me say something radical. Get 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 everybody upset. Okay, can I say something radical? You can say anything. Okay, so. So we had for 50, 60 years a good neighbor policy. It was instituted by Franklin Roosevelt. And so what Roosevelt said, okay, they're going to make a run on the border. Uh, we didn't really have a welfare net in place back then. He eventually got Social Security passed. In the 60s, we got the Medicare and Medicaid passed. And so now you have this social safety net, this social welfare net. Well, Milton Friedman, the great conservative economist, said if you have a welfare situation in a country, the people are going to run at the border. They're going to take advantage of that welfare state. Okay. Wow. And so, so you have to protect the border. But what Roosevelt said was the way we'll protect the border is through preventative medicine. He was sending money into the places where people were running from through USAID. And they were bypassing the dictators and bypassing the political system. Some of it was going through churches and NGOs to build schools, to build factories and manufacturing so a person could stay in their own country and feel safe and feel economically aspirational without making an 800-mile run to the border. 
okay? And we could change the laws about the technicalities around asylum. We certainly could fortify the border. I don't want the American military on that border. It's not the right job for the American military. So when Ron DeSantis says put the American military on the border, uh, it's not the right job for the American military. We have to make sure. Okay, to preserve our democracy, to separate our domestic security from our international security. Okay, so we can fortify it with uh, uh, more border control. We can fortify it through uh, the Homeland Security Department and others. And we can spend more money outside of the country. Okay, and I'm telling you, if you said to me right now, here's the deal, Anthony. You can spend a a billion dollars in Guatemala or you can spend $15 billion at the border. And a billion dollars in Guatemala will slow down the run towards the border. Okay, so we had a good neighbor policy in place, okay, and we've lost touch with the policies that worked because we've been, become very polemic and we've become very partisan with each other. This is not about left or right. This is about right or wrong. What works versus what doesn't work. And that's why I admire people like George Pataki because he was focused on that. What, what works, uh, as opposed to how is this going to make me look uh, the next time I show up at the polls? He was so well-liked. I'm, people were just saying how they want him to come back, and I asked him, and he said that he's old for it right now, and he also, like you, was candid. He answered the questions honestly, and he said he could fix this city in six months. He would say that we're not sanctuary. He would say he would send all the buses back to Washington. What's your thoughts about that? Totally fixable. Yeah, no. Totally fixable. Totally fixable. No. Remember, every problem that we have is man or woman-made, but frankly, mostly man-made, if you just look at the history of it. And every problem is fixable. It it can be unwound. We had a disaster going on here in 1990 to 1993. Rudy Giuliani got elected. It took a little while. Him and Bill Bratton cleaned up and fixed the city. This is a totally fixable thing. What you don't want it to do is you don't want it to fall off the the Niagara Falls into depravity, okay? Because there are cities that look unfixable in the United States. This is not one of them. This is a totally fixable city. There are too many aspirational people that come to New York. They either come from the outer boroughs or they come from neighbors like mine on Long Island and or they come from outside of the United States to live here. Too many aspirational people for this thing not to get fixed. I'm going to ask you a tough question I want you to answer. A lot of people are listening. 600,000 tuned in last week. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what, I, what keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. Do you think that New York is going to have another attack? Is it going to be? And if it will be, would it be from within a foreign or would it be domestic? Okay, so listen, I obviously don't know the answer to that, but I am very proud to say that I work alongside of people still in the government. You know, there's an expression, Suzanne, once you're in the government, you're always in the government. And so I love my country and will do anything I can to help our homeland security people or people that are examining these types of threats from around the world. And I'm here to tell you that since 9-11, we've done an amazing job of fortifying ourselves uh, to keep the city safe and to reduce the risks. I think you know that uh, we have uh, the CIA here in the city. Obviously, we have the FBI and the counterintelligence. I think our police department deserves a tremendous amount of credit for the work that they do in counterintelligence. Uh, and certainly, there's always more to do. Uh, but I feel very, very safe in the city. And I tell you what, I own a restaurant in Times Square. I go to my restaurant to watch the ball drop. 
okay, in Times Square, which is supposedly unsafe. And these uh, New York City police officers and the federal agents around the city, I think, have done an amazing job. So I don't, I don't want people to rest uneasy at night thinking about an attack uh, because we're on top of things in a way. Are we? We, we, we have we all these undocumented people. Remember, there are workhorses and there are show horses in our government. Okay, unfortunately, the workhorses are probably the lower paid people that are long tenured in the government, that really love the country, uh, that are hell bent on keeping you and your family safe. Hell bent on it. It means more to them than anything in life, and they're super, super focused on it. You have show horses that are saying nonsensical things and are driving woke narratives and all this cultural relativism and, and, and this nonsense. But underneath all of that, you've got a very, very strong backbone of people and a security network that's been put in place since 9-11 that is second to none in the world. Fantastic. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I want to be part of the people that remain vigilant on it. And remember, the, the bomb that went off, the uh, pressure cooker bomb that went off in Boston was because they were off the grid. And it was two people, and they were off the grid. Okay, so could a minor attack like that happen? Certainly. But they've got to play off the grid. They've got to make sure that they're not touching off any of their neighbors because people are no longer in the situation where they're going to ignore it. They're going to drop a dime on somebody and say, hey, these people are talking about X or these people are talking about Y. The reason I'm asking is because I do believe that October 7th happened in Israel because there was fighting within the government. They weren't paying mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing similarities. Mm. What's your thoughts? Separate. That's a, that's a different issue. So, so I, unfortunately, our success will breed some level of complacency and possibly some level of arrogance, which leads to a failure. Okay, so if you've protected yourselves uh, as well as they have, and, I, and I'll, I'll demarcate it, I'll say it's 2005. They built that perimeter fence uh, uh, between the more or less the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem and the West Bank. Uh, the suicide bombings went down to zero. Uh, they built the Iron Dome with the help of the American government. They're intercepting thousands and thousands of rockets, 95, 97% success rate. Uh, I've been to towns like Starot, uh, which were uh, violently attacked. I've been to the yeshivas in Starot that are fortified with bulletproof glass and could take a direct missile strike. Um, I lit the, I, I didn't light it, but I was at on the top of that yeshiva with the menorah, which is now lit, which I wanted to say. It was Kasem rockets that were launched uh, from Gaza that landed near the yeshiva. The kids went up to the top of the roof and they built this menorah, okay, of the Kasem rockets as a symbol of their defiance and as a symbol of their courage, okay, in the face of this unnecessary terrorism uh, and this unnecessary violence. And so, so for me, I think what happened there is there was a level of complacency that sat in due to their cons- success. Uh, and they'll probably be held to pay politically for yep. that. But I don't think it was related to their division. But you're bringing up something that I think has to be addressed. We are divisive in the country. We've lost our commonality, okay? When George McGovern was fighting with Bob Dole, they may not have agreed on anything from a policy perspective, but they both fought for America in World War II. And because of that bond, they were able to get along with each other. We have less than 10% of that Congress now has any attachment to the American military. So we've become provincial. 
we become very, very tribal, and we're going after each other. So could this eventually cause us a problem? I do think it could, but I don't think it caused the Israeli problem uh, because I think that was really more born from their success and, and some elements of arrogance and complacency that crept in to their security process. Anthony, I've interviewed about 38 guests right now on the Miller Report. It's been a fantastic success. You are one person that I'm speaking to today that has common sense. You're well-liked by both parties. I, I know that you're an entrepreneur. I've, uh, I've Trump, listened. Trump doesn't like well, me Well, a lot yeah. of the Republicans like you. Yeah. You have a lot of Republican yeah. support. I've, uh, I know that um, you're an entrepreneurial because even, I don't know, I think you were, I don't know what age you were, but you were trying to sell ice cream at, at the Boston Marathon on a freezing cold uh, day yeah. and you were successful. My, no, no, it was my first failure, actually. So, I, I needed a hedge. I needed coffee but, in that truck. But I it was a killed. thought idea, and no. that means you're entrepreneurial. Sweet, but I got killed that day. Yeah, that was my All first right, entrepreneurial so, failure, actually. But Anthony? Yeah. Are you going to run? Will you run for anything? Running for what, though? Like what? Governor? So, I mean, you know, listen, Suzanne, I'm running for re-election in my marriage, okay? Oh, and come so, on. That's, a, that's so, not a right answer. You've so, been good so far. So, Tell the truth. So, so the problem is I almost got divorced. Let's just talk very honestly to your listeners, okay? My, I think my wife hated Trump almost as much as, like, Melania hates him, which is, like, way up here. And she was, you know, adamant against me working for him, and then we got— other things that went on in the marriage, and we ended up filing for divorce. I also missed the birth of my uh, fifth child, uh, my son James. Uh, he was born on the 24th of July in 2017. I was with the president. I was at the Boy Scout convention where he was speaking. We landed somewhere in West Virginia. We had an hour or, hour or so ride in those suburban security-protected suburbans uh, to the speech, uh, she made uh, a, a, a call to me to say she was going into labor. I could not get back to New York. There was a 60-mile no-fly zone around Air Force One. I was in the middle of nowhere at this Boy Scout convention, uh, and we were in the middle of a divorce. It was absolutely brutal. Now, we patched up our marriage. We're raising our kids. Uh, we love each other, thank God. And it's a big message to your viewers and listeners. If you love each other, don't let your pride and your ego get in the way of that. Don't get a bit okay. angry. Okay, yeah, don't get, try to try to rekindle that bond if you can. Okay, and so far, seven years later, we've been successful at doing that knockwood. She doesn't like politics. Okay, she doesn't like the pressure that it puts on the children or the scrutiny or the attacks. I, I don't mind it. I've been lit up every which way that you can imagine. We mentioned some of them. Tony Soprano on the Potomac, a Jersey Shore cast member, a mafia down, whatever they want to say about me, I don't mind it. Okay, I have a tough skin, and you don't grow up where I grew up uh, caring what other people think about you. If I got my wife comfortable with it, because you're asking me to really ask the I'm asking answer you really, yes. If I got my wife comfortable with it, and a guy like Andrew Cuomo wasn't running, because he's a very dear friend of mine. If he decides to run for governor again, I will likely support him. And I think Andrew has been made wiser by these experiences that have happened to him. And I think he'd be a way more effective governor today. I see him as like a Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs unceremoniously fired from Apple Computer, returns to Apple Computer, and with his help prior to his death, turns it into the most successful company in the world. That would be wonderful. And so, so I think Andrew's got the goods. And so if he's doing it, I'm going to be there for him. If he's not doing it, you're asking me an honest question, so I'm going to answer it honestly. If my wife was comfortable with it, I would consider it, even though it would be very costly. Probably this is governor, my correct? Governor, yeah, I would consider it. I would consider it. Everybody listening? Okay, I would Everybody listening, it. But yes. again, I would not 
ever <clears throat> run against somebody like an Andrew Cuomo. I would never do anything uh, against a friend. Okay, so to me, I think Kathy Hochul has failed the state, has failed the city. Uh, she's probably a nice person. It's nothing personal against her. It's just that she's not handling the situation right. You can't tell people this is a sanctuary state, sanctuary city, come on in, blow the place apart, and say, oh, geez, you know, it's no longer that. What is it? Uh, Mr. Biden, could you please help me? You got to handle things right. You got to tell people what we can do, what our capabilities are, what we can't do, and you got to make people feel safe, okay? And you're a public servant. You're not there to serve yourself, okay? And she's not doing that job. Okay, so I think Andrew will probably run for governor, not mayor, at which point, thank God, hopefully he'll let me work for him in some capacity. But I, I hope, Andrew, you're listening I, and I that you're going to come back as the comeback kid. <laughs> I think that's what they call him, I, right? I, I love it. Now, now, Chris, if Chris Cuomo's listening, he's going to hit me in the head with a glass bottle because he doesn't want him to run uh-huh. because it's a lot of misogots. It's a lot of, of misogots. Misogots, however you say it, it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Well, people get driven crazy by this stuff, Suzanne. Well, thank you. This has been very. If I ran. Exciting. I wouldn't be doing it for ego and all that other nonsense. By the way, I've had enough ego situations that have not gone well for me. Okay, like working for the Trump administration. Got it. This would have to be based on could I help the city or state, and was my family behind me? So I have an idea. What about you, Lieutenant Governor, and Andrew Cuomo, Governor? Suzanne, talk to Andrew about it. I would sign up for that tomorrow, okay, because I think he would be a phenomenal governor uh, after what has happened to him. I think his comeback story would be even greater than his last tenure, and if he wanted my help, I would uh, unequivocally say yes to it. I like that ticket. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the Miller Report. This has been fantastic. honest, by the way. We're going to go viral with this one. Thank you for tuning into the Miller Report. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.